0: This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, good morning, everybody. On this election day in Rhode Island, here we are. After all that, it comes down to this, like we had kind of imagined, this summer day here, the day after Labor Day in Rhode Island, as the Democratic primary for Congressional District 1 will likely be decided today. I mean, we may not actually have the the complete answers to the questions that we're seeking here in terms of who's going to win this thing tonight, Um. It remains to be seen. The Board of Elections here in Rhode Island has underperformed enormously on a number of issues throughout the course of the later portion of this this election cycle here, really on just like a managerial level. So maybe they'll get their act together tonight finally, um, and, and we'll actually get a result delivered to us. Remains to be seen, though, and let's hope we do, because it's always, you know, that whole thing where it takes like three or four days or more sometimes to get an actual uh, clear victor is extremely annoying, you know, if, if nothing else. I mean, here we are. It's Election Day. The attention's there. The tension's there. And you want to know. Uh, look, there's a lot of different ways that this thing could go. Um, there's no question that Aaron Regenberg right now is the perceived front frontrunner um, in terms of, of uh, hit the way his opponents are viewing this thing, in terms of the way that, that a lot of people on the street are viewing this thing. But, you know, it's going to come down to turnout. And I'm going to keep this episode really short here. And I just want to give you three things that I'm looking at that could impact or shape the election today. Three things that, three questions, I guess, that I'll ask you. And I'll do that in just a second. reminder that we'll be live um, throughout the course of the day today on Instagram and Twitter. um, Or at least, maybe not live, with a little bit of delay. We'll be speaking with some of the candidates in the field over the course of the morning and into the afternoon. Then we'll be on the radio this afternoon, obviously, on the Dan York Show. I'll be there and we'll have all the analysis there. And then tonight, you know, my plan is I'll be bouncing around some of the different election watch parties for, I guess, what I'd call the the leading candidates. You know, we've got 12 people in this primary. Pardon me, now it's 11 uh, people in the primary, and uh, really only three or four of them are what I would call viable candidates. I guess you never know. Um, You know, there could be some kind of from Pluto type of scenario that takes place tonight, but it's hard to imagine that. Um, but we'll be bouncing around, so follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Bill Bartholomew. In fact, I went live on Instagram right now. I've got it pulled up just, just to kind of uh, get things going as I record the podcast here. So that'll be throughout the course of the day. Today, quick interviews with the candidates in the field. Uh, maybe you, if you're seeing anything out there, if you've, if you've already voted, if you're on your way to vote, the polling places are a little bit different than they've been in previous elections. So if you have any questions or you're seeing anything out there, uh, not that I'm the authority on anything like that, but I'd, I'd be happy to share your, your questions or if you have any kind of, if you see anything weird, then we, we see this from time to time. A polling place has some anomaly happen with, with the voting machine or something like that. Bill at ripodcast.com, or you can just tweet at me at Bill Bartholomew. I guess it's X now. You can X at me or post at me. I don't know. That's that's still weird, right? The whole Twitter situation, whatever. What matters today, the big congressional race, and This election, if you haven't been paying attention in any way, shape, or form, and somehow you're still listening to this podcast episode right now, then this is an election to replace Congressman David Cicilline, who abruptly left office earlier this year to take over as the head of the Rhode Island Foundation. That's the philanthropic group here in Rhode Island, the organization that that drives a lot of nonprofits and funding. So Cicilline leaves Congress after getting elected just a couple of months ago goes into this private sector, nonprofit sector job, opening up a congressional seat from which we have not had a seated member of Congress uh, in this congressional district one seat since Cicilline left office at the end of May, beginning of June. So we have been a one uh, congressperson state, even though we should have two since that point in time. So it'll be good to get this thing buttoned up and figure out who it's going to be. Of course, it's a sprint to the finish line and then we just turn around and do it all again next year. This is a special election to conclude Cicilline's term. So we'll be back here next year. Uh, whoever uh, may get into this thing uh, from a uh, Democratic standpoint, you wonder if there are some more significant players in the Republican Party. I mean, that's, that's it's hard to imagine because there's not a whole heck of a lot of them uh, in Rhode Island, that's for sure. But if anybody, does an Alan Fung, does a Ken Block, does somebody with a little bit more name recognition, try to take this seat next year so that's all ahead and something to think about keep in the back of your mind uh is is whoever wins today uh if 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 that person is able to kind of quickly turn around continue fundraising and prepare to defend this seat going into next year so that's something that'll also be on the table I don't know how much time we need to really be thinking about that right now here on election day so uh three questions that I have again we'll keep it tight here. On this uh, Tuesday morning, we'll be in and out throughout the course of the day. Not so much on the podcast. I mean, unless something amazing pops up and it's you know we really got to bring it to you. But throughout the the uh, multitude of platforms, social media and terrestrial radio, um, and then tonight uh, we'll be both live and I'll have a podcast for you, kind of wrapping up the day, assuming that we have some kind of clear winners. So that's all ahead. Um, but three questions that I'm asking right now. I think these are things that are in a concert with a lot of other aspects of. Uh, common sense and really just surface level questions that you can ask going into this election like what's turnout going to be and what's you know did did endorsements work did the endorsements matter does anybody really care that bernie sanders and alexandria ocasio cortez endorsed aaron reaganberg outside of the twitter progressive bubble does anybody really care about that is that going to drive people to the polls is that going to drive people to vote for reaganberg uh, what impact does the organized labor unions who are behind both Sabina Matos and Sandra Cano, uh, what impact does that have? What co- uh, correlation does Joe Biden, Gina Raimondo, and uh, even Barack Obama and Gabe Amos ties to them as a, as a staffer, does that impress anybody? Does that drive people out to the polls? Uh, how How confused are some folks? um as they head to the polls like I know I went early voter the other day and I didn't make a decision until I entered into the polling place and had the pen in my hand you know because there really there's there's some good candidates in this thing and and there's candidates that represent different aspects of what maybe uh, an information digesting as I described it myself anyway voter would care to see whether it's on the identity politics level or really most importantly Um, In some way, let's say most importantly, that's actually not fair because it's very important. Representation matters, and I think it's something that's really important. So let me actually backtrack that. But uh, at the end of the day, policy and implementation of policy is something that's really going to be most important, uh, or at least equally, if not slightly ahead in importance uh, for the average Rhode Islander. So those are all surface-level questions. Here's my three questions that I'm looking at right now here at uh, nine-something in the morning on election day. Number one, so the the notion of progressive versus moderate. The notion of progressive versus moderate when we look at this thing. And the idea that there are multiple candidates that you could describe as progressive. There are multiple candidates that you could describe as whether you want to call them moderate or kind of of statist, uh, institutional Democrats. And... Does any one candidate own a particular lane in a significant way? Or do we start to see on ideological, broad ideological grounds, canceling out of candidates that allow a lane for someone of a different political stripe to find a way through? Let me give you an example. Sandra Cano, the state senator out of Pawtucket, Aaron Regenberg, the former state representative, and uh, he describes himself as a climate lawyer. Uh, Most people know him probably as sort of an an activist or organizer, somebody who ran for lieutenant governor. Um, They're both going to be able to attract progressive votes, right? There's no question about it. They're both going to be in that particular lane. How much of a progressive vote will turn up today? To vote in person at the polls, and you can look back on early voting, which the numbers weren't, you know, they weren't overwhelming. You know, they did, they're not going to knock your socks off in terms of, of early voting, but they were there, um, at least to a certain extent. And how much does, does the progressive vote get divided? And you can throw John Gonzales into the mix here as well, I suppose. But if you get a situation where that progressive vote is bifurcated, in a way that maybe more so than we're anticipating here. And Cano picks up a significant amount of the active progressive base and pulls it away from Reichenberg and divides that vote. Does that create a lane for a Gabe Amo or a Sabina Matos, a Lieutenant Governor, to sneak through? Because the the vote has been split amongst progressives. You don't have a a definitive progressive candidate by and large, and they're going to tell you. I mean, obviously, Reagan people are going to tell you that that he's the right guy for that. Other people are going to say, "Well, wait a minute, he's a white dude, rich white guy, Ivy League grad, Sandra Cano, working class, so to speak." She certainly makes a decent salary now, so the idea that she's, you know, um, representing the uh, at least from an immediate experience, you know, the the impoverished, uh, she has that particular experience or something like that. That's not really accurate either. I mean, she certainly has an amazing story, and, and I have an en- enormous amount of respect for her. Um, But, you know, the idea is that either of those candidates could divide the progressive movement and as such provide a lane for a moderate candidate to get through, particularly, I think, Gabe Amo at this point in time. So watching that. Similarly, does the moderate vote get split? Uh, And what is the moderate vote? Right. Who is that? Do they even turn out? Are they excited about this? Is there any interest at that level? And does Gabe Amo and Lieutenant Governor Matos, do they pull enough votes where they cancel out any shot that either one of them are going to pop through, and it just completely clears the lane for Aaron Regenberg or Sandra Cano to to blast through? So that's one thing I'm looking for, the the ideological bifurcation and division of votes that could in turn allow for a different ideological perspective to pop through. Uh, I mean, you look at Ana Cazada... Uh, the uh, the somewhat progressive, actually I would say very progressive state senator here in South Providence, can she pull enough of those progressive votes where it might be more than one? You know, a, a John Gonzalez, the Providence city councilor who's in this thing, does he pull some of those progressive votes? And all of a sudden you have a scenario where at the end of the day, it's uh, the opportunity exists for a non-progressive to pop through because of the progressive division. And look, we're going to look back on the left movement the left wing movement in Rhode Island in great detail coming up later this year, the so-called progressive civil war, some of the nonsense that's gone on, the backs and forths between different camps within the progressive movement, some of the players. We're going to take a look at that and, and try to understand where this thing actually sits, um, in, in practical in a practical sense. But for today, that's the question I'm looking at. Question number one, right there. Question number two, geographical. The hometown hero factor. Now, it's going to be interesting. There are a lot of votes, obviously, in Providence. And Providence has a multitude of candidates. And you can even focus in on neighborhoods or portions of the city on, on a broad stroke, like, for example, the east side, right? Aaron Regenberg has a stronghold in the east side. It's where he lives. It's where his base is. It's where he represented as a state representative. There's a connection there from a university standpoint with Brown University. And there's a uh, there's a type of person. There's a type of person that, that votes progressive, has a little bit more wealth, lives on the east side of Providence. He's going to get a lot of votes there, right? So will John Gonzalves. The question is how many? Gonzalve's the Ward 1 Providence City Councilor, who also has a base of support there. You go drive around on Providence's east side, you're going to see t- primarily two sets of signs, right? Regenberg and Gonzales, right? So you kind of have two hometown representatives there. Pawtucket, Senator Cano, Sandra Cano. Has nearly the entirety of the Pawtucket delegation. Whether you're talking mayor, school committee, uh, the uh, the uh, general assembly delegation, city council, a lot of on the ground support. Okay, the hometown hero in Pawtucket. What does that shape up to be? How about even Stephen Casey, the the somewhat conservative Woonsocket representative, state representative Stephen Casey? Is he able to pull significant votes in Woonsocket? Walter Berbrick in Newport, he's on the ground there. Uh, a lot of Berbrick signs in Newport. You're going to see them, and and if you're in Newport right now, you may even understand that you've had Berbrick knocking your door. Now he's knocked on doors statewide, as have most of these candidates. But you have a situation where Walter Berbrick uh, does he just via being a hometown hero of sorts get a certain amount of votes, right? And we can go on and on with this with this equation. There's a, there's a bit of a gap in East Providence where there's a lot of votes to be had. Uh, Bob De Silva, the mayor of East Providence, he didn't get in this thing. Uh, he's not running. And East Providence, there's a little bit of a void. So where does that fall? Where does that municipality fall? The point of that question or this question is pretty simple. If somebody is unattractive to the voter on a purely ideological, likability you know, standard issue factors that you'd weigh in when it comes to a um, making a decision about who you're gonna vote for level. But there's a geographical connection that is appealing. Does that candidate and let's let's use Woonsocket. Let's go up to Woonsocket. Let's say Stephen Casey just by being from Woonsocket, whether it's through relationships, whether it's through you know just kind of random name recognition you know, hey, you were at the, the chili cookout two years ago, and, you know, we had a 30 second conversation, and I liked that, so I'm going to vote for you. Is there enough of a hometown hero factor that it pulls votes away from a candidate that would otherwise receive that voter's votes and take votes away from an Aaron Regenberg, from a Sandra Cano? from a Gabe Obama or from a Sabina Matos and then as a result of that does that create a lane for somebody else to pop through somebody might say geez you know I, I would totally vote for Regenberg you know I totally would vote for Gabe Obama, but you know I'm, I'm, I'm from Newport Walter Burbrick's from Middletown This we've got this Aquidneck Island thing and I had to vote for Burbrick and Burbrick's not going to win this thing Stephen Casey's not going to win this thing Ana Kazad is not going to win this thing. I don't even think John Gonzalves is, is, is going to, he's not going to be a factor necessarily in the big picture. But I think all of these people, maybe even mo- mostly Gonzalves, can determine this race because they may have a locality appeal that takes votes away from the obvious candidate that that particular voter would otherwise vote for. So we're going to be keeping an eye on that as the mail ballots and the, uh, the early voting. And the day of voting are tabulated tonight and presented on a breakdown level. It's something that may require a little bit of backtracking after the election, like how did this actually shape up? What was the actual pathway to victory, right? But we're looking at that, and when I say where, I'm talking about the royal we, me, Bill Bartholomew here with you, and this election, Dan Redell. So that's the other thing. So those two things right there, uh, cancellation of ideological uh, experience or perspective allowing for an opposing ideology to pop through because candidates cancel themselves out. Cancellation of a a would-be vote because a voter says, nah, I'm going to go with the geographical representative instead of the, the the candidate that I would most likely otherwise vote for. So those two things are there. Here's the third thing right now. I'm looking out the window, and it's a little bit hazy. It's certainly not like the Canadian wildfire days. But number three, weather. I mean, I can remember rainy primary days, rainy election days uh, of all kinds. You know, I I'm, I can remember uh, all kinds of uh, situations um, where uh, the weather has been somewhat of a factor. But I'm not sure that I can recall a day that has a projected, and I'm, I'm using maybe an outdated forecast here because I didn't wake up and check the, uh, the the weather app or anything like that. But I'm going by real feel as in what I'm feeling. It's hot. It is hot. It's the day after Labor Day. And it is summer. It is absolutely one hundred percent summer. Forget about the back to school propaganda and all that. You know, they want you to go buy a you know backpacks at Staples and you know Old Navy wants you to come in and, and buy some blue jeans. Forget about all that for a second. Realize the fact that it is hot out there. And does that dissuade voters? Or does it encourage voters? Do people say, it's a beautiful day, I want to be outside, I'm going to be outdoors, I'm going to go stand in in line or whatever kind of line there is, it probably won't be that significant, I'm going to go vote because it's a beautiful day and I feel great about it. Maybe people are indifferent, maybe people say, whatever, doesn't matter, rain, snow, sleet, hail, we're like the Postal Service, we're going to be out there uh, uh, for our appointed rounds, in this case the uh, round, the primary round, voting for uh, the would-be, and ostensibly this is the general election, by the way, congressperson. But I wonder if in a, uh, a a voting demographic that skews older, with while there were certainly early votes and mail ballots tabulated, uh, nothing that's going to again shape the entirety of this election, as far as we can tell. I mean, I haven't again I haven't been refreshing the Board of Elections uh, website uh, on a regular basis. I don't have I don't have that number in front of me, but I can tell you right now that there's definitely people who plan to vote early. Now, some of them, they vote in the building that they live in, and, and some some of the, um, uh, of, our, of our senior folks may actually just have to walk downstairs to the lobby and n- never leave the air conditioning. But there are plenty of people who are going to have to get out there. And if you're home right now and you're hot and you're thinking, geez, you know what, forget it. I'm, uh, I'm not getting into this heat. Maybe I'll wait till later. The heat doesn't cool off. All of a sudden, the weather shapes the amount of votes. I don't know. Who knows? That's completely anecdotal. I can't remember a primary day uh, whether he has been like this. Um, I can't, again, it's not oppressive. I mean, let's be honest about it. It it is not exactly, you know, Arizona here. uh, This is not Death Valley where we've seen, what, 112, 120 degree feel like temperatures or even real temperatures. Um, I'm not a meteorologist. I'm not R.J. Heim. Uh, I can't give you that. But what I can tell you is that just on a purely anecdotal level, it is hot. And I don't think it feels like an election day. Election day, you have a little bit in my head. When I think of election days over the years, I go back to, you know, just the excitement of being in, in middle school or whatever it is. And you think about it kind of a cool day. You think about breathing some of that autumn air. You think about the night sky this time of year when when the poll, when the returns are coming in. Uh, you think about maybe a little bit more of an autumn-like environment. And look, the primaries already is always this time of year. I get it. Uh, But this is summer. It's abnormally hot, and it may shape people's decisions. Someone might say, you know what, the hell with it. I'm going to the beach. I'm going outside. I'm going to do whatever I want today, and it's not going to be standing in a line in a gymnasium to go vote for whoever. So I'm looking at that three things that I'm looking at right now. Number one, the cancellation of of, uh, ideological perspective, allowing for opposing ideologies to run through. Two, the role that geography plays. Number three, the role that the weather plays. Those are my big takeaways, and I'm going to keep an eye on those throughout the course of the day here on Bartholomew Town. Of course, we'll also be on the uh, on the uh, the radio station, WPRO, and uh, I look forward to that. I just got an email from Aaron Regenberg, and we're going to try to meet up with Mr. Regenberg today. I don't know if we're going to be able to. See, I'm, some, of these, some of the candidates have been re-advising. I'll give you an example. Gabe Amo has sent numerous um, indicators of where he's going to be. I, ju- I just got this from Ray Aaron, and I don't know if it's going to – I'm going to go try to meet up with Aaron. It's a little bit – it's going to be tough, so we'll see. Okay, so those are the three big things. Again, um, I'll, be, I'll be live on and off uh, as, I, as I make my way through the day. We'll be on the radio. We'll be on Twitter. That's probably your best bet, uh, X at Bill Bartholomew, in terms of detail, orientation. And uh, here on the podcast, if uh, something incredibly important breaks – I will definitely hop on and give you that. Uh, we will definitely be uh, giving you something tonight. I'll be at the Victor's after-party as well as some other after-parties. Um, uh, I don't know if that's the right term, after-party. I mean, it gives you a little bit of a different flavor than probably what's realistically going to be happening. But, you know, there'll probably be some, uh, some chips and cheese and that kind of garbage floating around. And you just stand there and wait for the returns, make small talk. And then whoever wins this thing gives a speech. And we all go home. Now, remember, this the uh, Republicans in Rhode Island already, a disorganized mess, a, a laugh out loud organization that has uh, absolutely organization is not the right word. It's uh, it's just a, a complete dis- disaster. Um, you got this uh, primary there as well. Terry Flynn and Gary Leonard, uh, two people. You never heard of him. Nobody knows about him. Uh, nobody, nobody cares. A small amount of people will vote for Leonard, get him over the hump. And then he will get, in, in, in an embarrassing fashion, probably about 30-something percent of the vote, 30, 34, 35, 36, uh, 37, uh, based on the uh, w- the market's performance probably on that given day uh, when we get to November. So this is the general election tonight. Whoever wins tonight is going to be your next congressperson. Uh, the Republicans have no ground game. Now, that might change next year. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, they might, you know, who knows? Maybe they put up an Alan Fung. Uh, maybe they put up a Ken Block. I don't even know if those people perform well in a, a light blue district in congressional district one. But it's it's not impossible. So uh, this is your general election tonight. Whoever wins tonight is your next congressperson. Get out there and vote if you want to. If you don't want to, who cares? I don't think people need to be punished for not voting. But uh, when, you, when you say climate change is important and then you don't vote for a candidate that embraces climate change action, uh, don't complain about it. When you say that, um, you know, we need to take a look at our health care system and you don't vote for somebody who's going to try to take a look at that, you know, don't complain about it. I mean, you can complain about it. I guess it's not to say you shouldn't, but just the reality is that this is one peaceful protest opportunity, and that is uh, to go vote. You know, it's to go vote. Now, one thing that's for sure is that there's candidates in this race that shouldn't be in the race. I'm completely opposed to gatekeeping. I'm completely opposed to all that business, except for when you have nonsense like Alan Waters and even Spencer Dickinson. I like Spencer. He's a good guy. Uh, they, I, I'm interested to see if either of them achieve more than 300 votes tonight. Uh, I, I don't think they will. I think Waters, he's the uh, far right Republican that, that uh, on a gimmick level, decided to jump into the race as a Democrat. Um, you know, uh, completely uh, irrelevant in any conversation other than that of transphobia and things of that sort. Um, and then you've got Spencer Dickinson, again, a good guy who has a, kind of a conservative palate, but can, fancies himself a Democrat, a longtime uh, former state representative, even senator at one point. But he lives in Congressional District 2. No shot, the two of them in this thing. Otherwise, I think every candidate's going to have some imp- impressible uh, performance tonight, uh, whether it's Stephanie Beauty, Stephen Casey. They'll get their votes. It's just a matter of what those votes do to the overall picture and how it shapes the election. Uh, this is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Election Day in Rhode Island. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you. I want to give you, sh- give. Uh, let's see, oh, one more thing. I was going to check the weather because I mentioned the weather was a factor. Let me see here. Stupid weather app I have here. I, I got to figure out some better way. I don't. I don't. Uh, WPRO's got AccuWeather. I wonder if I can access that. This thing's not even loading. You know what? Forget it. Forget it. I'm not going to check it. It's hot. We know it's hot, and that's really all that matters. Uh, Bartholomy Town is brought to you in part by Navigant Credit Union, our good friends over at Navigant. As Rhode Island's first ever member-owned credit union, Navigant Credit Union has been a staple in the local business community for more than 108 years. Today, Navigant is a 3.4 billion dollar institution serving more than 136,000 members across 25 physical branch locations. But since its founding in 1915, the mission's never changed. Navigant Credit Union's team of financial professionals have remained committed to improving the financial well-being of the families, businesses, and communities they serve across Rhode Island. Learn more at NavigantCU.org, and make sure you check out our monthly series, Financial Well-Being, presented by Navigant. Uh, The most recent episode talks about lending, which is, believe me, actually a major conversation that we should be having everything from student loans to personal debt to home buying it's all there every month it's uh, financial well-being presented by Navigant Credit Union the most recent episode available at ripodcast.com or wherever you listen to Bartholomew Town. okay I'll talk to you guys throughout the course of the day here on uh, and I went live on Instagram just uh, why not I'm not sure that the quality of audio is usable um, but I put it up there and uh, I'm gonna post the podcast right now we'll talk to you throughout the course of the day happy election day everybody we made it